Hello, everybody. Dr. Jim Hoven here, and it is time for another episode of the Positive Impact Show with Dr. Jim Hoven. And I am telling you, sit back and strap in because today I have a guest that I have been tracking down, pacing, trying to lasso and rope to get in here, but his schedule's so busy that it is almost impossible. So you're going to want to find the gold in this next hour and a half. And I know hour and a half sounds like a long time. Put it on time and a half speed if you have to, to get through it, but don't miss it. There are gems in here for you, for your family, for your work. Everything is here for you as I get the chance to sit down and interview the one and only Dr. Joe Ramos. Hello, everyone. What I have for you today is something that is a dream in the making. It's been going on for a long time, and now is the expression of the dream where myself, Dr. Jim Hoven, and my cohort, my amazing mentor, my partner, my friend, Dr. Joe Ramos, we are doing the first of what's going to be a series of incredible podcasts in the years to come, and uh, I cannot wait for this time. Our first time is just together. We're just going to do a, a, a conversation where we're going to talk about all things from business to relationships to all kinds of stuff. It's going to be incredible, and I hope you guys find value. So, uh, Dr. Ramos, welcome. Thanks for coming in and, and for agreeing you. to do this, man. Uh, this is incredible. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm so excited about this. Uh, as you know, uh, this is a dream come true. We've had so many talks about this and, uh, to be here today, sitting here with you living out, you know, the first day of one of these dreams is just, uh, can't tell how fulfilling it is. So. It's like a rocket ship lifting <laughs> off the pad. <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to stop smiling. Maybe <laughs> 10 cuts here from, uh, from my silliness <laughs> and that's all my giddiness from happy. Uh, yeah, I'm so happy to be here. So. I love it. Well, I tell you what, we could probably talk for two, three, four hours cause we've had some incredible conversations and, and I've learned so much. We've known each other 20 years now. For yeah, sure. Yeah, it has been, it has probably been like a good 20 years. You're right. I mean, did I have gray hair when we met? No, but <laughs> I also had more and more hair and it was not gray as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you've seen my kids uh, come up. I, uh, yeah, we were, we were uh, together before I even had kids. So Absolutely. Now here we are. It, it, our journey has been fascinating and they've paralleled each other, our paths have crossed, and now we work together every single day in two different businesses. It's, it's been a fantastic ride, and I hope that the people listening get a sense of the journey that we've taken and the things we've oh, learned, and that too. it helps them, right? It gives them maybe a little direction or helps them get over a speed bump or take a quicker course of their dreams or something. Definitely. I, you know, I as well, I, I, I feel exactly that way. We, over the years of that friendship, over that 20 years, we've talked about everything from family to faith to, you know, business principles. Um, we've talked about each of our professional journeys and the avenues they've taken and the why. And we've talked about the, the forward path that they're going on and the kind of the looking back path of where they've come from. And uh, really from all different dynamics on all perspectives, personal, professional, um, emotional, uh, relationship-wise, and, and hopefully throughout this and over time, we'll get to bring some of that in because my friendship with you and those discussions and those times have been incredibly rich. And if we can bring that to, to someone else and there's some little morsel, that would uh, just be one more chapter in our friendship. Absolutely. And another difference we made, we've talked about legacy projects together, right? Yes, we're yes. currently building businesses together. We're yes. making a difference. We're challenging stuff. But we've, we're already thinking about that next thing to leave the youth. And that's been in, a, in our percolation phase. So what we've done and where we've come along this journey is incredible. And I think as we go through this, people are going to have a chance to ask questions eventually and get back to us. And it's just going to be a fantastic culmination of us just giving whatever we have to people. And that's, that excites me. Absolutely. Anything that we can 
do to contribute to the uh, richness of another. Uh, as two friends contribute to each other, and if we can now as friends contribute uh, to someone else, uh, it is really going to be the culmination of, uh, you know, again, just our life's journey, but part of a bigger dream. Absolutely. So let's get into it. All right, so let's do it, man. We'll ask each other some questions. I've been thinking about this for a long time. And one of the first things that's fascinating to me is your journey. And you end up coming from this small town. And I don't, I don't want to take all the story because I've heard it and I've imbibed it in my DNA mm. so that when I share it with someone about who is Dr. Joe Ramos, it, it flows like it's my story, right? <laughs> so I don't want to do that. But, but coming from that small town and reaching for the stars, I'm interested for you to A, share your history, but B, where did you get the, the drive, the confidence, the, the desire? How did you go from wanting to get out of the small town, if that's what you wanted, and how did that culminate in ending up going to medical school first first phase? I guess that's phase one. Wow, yeah, and 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 actually that's that's probably a couple phases in there because one is the small town and, and two then is that educational path and uh, and and then that branches off as as you know into many areas. But uh, starting with a small town um, aspect, yeah, I'm I'm from Austin, Nevada. If you uh, take out the the map and uh, the state of Nevada and you took your finger and you tried to pinpoint the center of the state you would put your finger over the top of my, my little town, Austin. It's uh, right in the Toyabe Mountain Range. My home was about 7,000 feet. Beautiful area, pinyon pines, mountains, uh, lots of streams, lots of fishing, uh, but in the middle of nowhere. The uh, nearest doctor, um, 112 miles. There used to be a family doctor about 90 miles away. Most of the doctors have always been about 112 miles away. Uh, nearest grocery store, uh, 90 miles, but again, that one 112 miles away is bigger. Um, better store, uh, small area, uh, very small graduating class, uh, two girls in my graduating class, eight, uh, eight total. People. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 150 <laughs> people or so in the town. So you might set the stage a little bit there geographically, um, where I'm from very small, very rural, but very beautiful and not the desert Nevada by any means, the mountain Nevada. Um, deer would feed down through our yard, a chucker, um, stuff like that. It's probably why I have that, you know, that burning for the outdoors all the time. Yeah, you love being outdoors, hunting, uh, fishing, being outside, hiking, all of it. I do, and you and I have enjoyed some incredible times, fly fishing together where we, we had have. incredible days of freedom of just like, wow, mm -hmm. God, look at this creation. And so, yeah, so that might be where that comes from. And so I grew up there and, um, in a little small high school uh, class. I tell everybody I was in the top ten. Because <laughs> you had eight? <laughs> yeah, that joke probably gets old, but yeah. That's, I love uh, it. I always tell people that. Um, and then um, I, I grew up with uh, very humble parents. My parents are very hardworking uh, parents. My mother got pregnant when she was 16 years old. Um, my dad, uh, I think he was 18 then. Um, I may have just turned 18 probably when, when uh, she got pregnant. And uh, so... Uh, he was 19 when I was born. Uh, she was 17. I think she just turned 17. And um, that's a tough way to start life. And so, uh, <clears throat> you know, my mom pretty much did janitorial type work, she, uh, moved packages for UPS. You know, she was a hard worker, very, very hard worker. My father, very much the same. Um, I was raised on a local ranch there until I was about five. My dad was, a, was raised to a farmer, rancher, father. And, uh, and so kind of that mentality growing up and, and very hardworking family. And they just taught great values and great, uh, great work ethic. And that, that's kind of the backbone of what I attribute any success that's happened to uh, my parents and their values and then my ability to work and work ethic. And, 
Right. Yeah. But you had an entrepreneurial spirit and we'll get into some of the business backgrounds <laughs> and some of the things, but even, even as a kid, my mm. question one for me would be with the 150 people in the town, I don't know how many of them were kids, but did people want to stay or did people want to get out? And some small towns are like, I got to get out of here. Right. The kids, others say, man, it's farm, it's generation, it's relationship. We're staying here. What was it like in your town? Number one. And number two, tell us about your first early entrepreneurial experiences. So I'll tell you in the town, the, the first thing is with, as far as, you know, you're right. Everybody wants to leave at first. They're in this little town where everybody knows their business and, and they can't wait to get out of there. And they've got nothing but bad to say about the town. And nobody laughs, lasts more than a year or two in their back. I'm, <laughs> I'm the oldest of eight kids and my parents took on two additional. So there were 10 of us in the house when I was growing up and uh, they're all back out there. Every one of them. Really? Yes. And a bunch of my buddies are back out there. And like I say, the, the town kind of repopulates with the kids who were born there. It's kind of, it seems one generation dies, another generation, the same generation that was born and raised there moves back. And, um, and the, the reason for that is this. In those small towns, you know, you don't drive by people without waving at them. You don't stop in a store, uh, the gas station, there's no store. <laughs> you don't stop at a gas station and not visit with somebody. You don't... Um, you know, you can't run 112 miles to grab eggs if you're out. So you just walk across the street or really the houses are a lot farther apart than the street. But, you know, you go a quarter mile away and grab some eggs from somebody. And that's how it works out there. And so um, people miss that quickly when they leave. You really value uh, close, personal, valuable relationships. And so everybody comes back there. So that's the first part of your question. So I do miss it. And most everybody that I grew up with is still around that area. And has the town as a as an overall number, has it grown, stayed the same? Has it gone down a little bit? No, slowly but surely, as I mentioned, the people who are, you know, kind of born while they live there, they they move back and every now and then one drops off that doesn't move back like I didn't. And that kind of slowly decreases that population. In fact, this last year there was uh uh, no high school. They started busing the kids 90 miles away to that other high school. Wow. And they closed the high school, yeah, because there just wasn't enough kids for it. A few years before that they graduated like one. A senior, then they had a couple of years with no seniors. Um, so very, very small. When I was there, ninth grade through 12th grade was 54 kids in total. Wow. Ninth through 12th, yeah. And so it's slowly gotten smaller and smaller to the point now the high school is actually closed. Oh, that's crazy. You know, yeah. and it's funny because you and I have a very similar yet different parallel experience where, like you, my um, mom got pregnant and when she was 17 and no my way. dad turned 20. So, you know, now I am here, I am 52 with a dad that's 72. Like we're just barely off the same generation, right? From right. that whole thing. And my mom being so young, it was interesting in the connection that you get with your parents and it does make for a challenging time. And then I went to a small Christian school where in my class there were 32 and uh, I don't think I did finish in the top 10. <laughs> in 32 and, uh, and there was 125 in the high school. And so very similar, but in a big city, right? Like I was in Denver, here, yeah. here in Denver, and it was, it was still the same thing. So our paths have been interesting. The difference, like for me, is I've always been a team guy, part of a thing, and part of just wanting to be something. You have this entrepreneurial spirit to make things happen, create where there's nothing, and I want to know when that first started, what sparked it, and, and where that came from. How did it express itself? Well, <laughs> my dad probably instilled in me this need to be an entrepreneur because when, when I started, when I first started working, so my dad had gone in and started managing a gas station, which he ended up then eventually buying. And when I first started working, I worked for a dollar an hour. <laughs> and I'm so, sure minimum wage was a little more. <laughs> yeah. So this is how it led to the entrepreneurial spirit. So I was working for a dollar an hour and thought I was really killing it. And, um, 
and I was raising rabbits at the same time, uh, and my dad was eating my rabbits at home as quickly as I could raise them. So what I realized is that rabbits breed and they repopulate quickly. And so I added a few does to my to my group, and I'm embarrassed to say my friends used to like to come over and watch the breeding process. <laughs> And uh, all eight does got pregnant at once, eight or ten of them, and they all had eight or ten rabbits. And quickly I realized at 60 rabbits I could make a lot more money if I was selling them than I was doing working for a dollar an hour in a gas station. I could also sell them before my dad could eat all of them. Because <laughs> he could only be so hungry. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and everybody on this town loved rabbits. So I formed J&J Rabbits uh, with Johnny Helming, a good old buddy of mine. And a um, friend of mine to this day, just a great guy. Anyway, J&J Rabbits we formed. And uh, Johnny was really good at hitting them with a bat. Um, <laughs> and I was really good at cleaning them quickly. And uh, we would raise these rabbits and sell them. And we started off selling them for like three bucks a rabbit, which for me was three hours worth of work in the gas station. But that was five minutes worth of work, cleaning the skin of a rabbit and putting it in a bag. And then we are priced up to $5 a rabbit. I think we may have gotten about $7 a rabbit. And the town people would buy them as quickly, as, as, as many as we could raise and sell, they would buy. And so if we made a five rabbit sale to somebody, you know, at, at the $7, of course, that was $35. So I was like, wow, that would have taken me, you know, three or four days. Right. So J&J Rabbit started booming. We had a bank account. Um, we, um, we bred and sold rabbits like crazy. We eventually changed our rabbit model where we actually, instead of having them individual pens, we actually started getting big pens. We realized that they would actually separate themselves and um, you could let them go in bigger pens and you could raise more because they weren't confined to a smaller area. And so that was my first entrepreneurial spirit. And I think I probably came about because of that dollar an hour job and the, that search to God, there's, <laughs> well, once I tasted that there was better, so I should say. Uh, that started it. How about you? What, did you have a, a first early business? I did not have an early business. Again, me kind of being on the team side is I um, played team sports, as I know you did mm -hmm. as well, mm -hmm. and football was my primary sport. And so I was really always connected to the team. And then um, I started playing tennis, and I got to be pretty good and was winning some tournaments and doing those kinds of things. And so my life was around sports. It was oh, all sports. Wow, so it was wow. tennis in the summer, and it was football in the fall. And then eventually I got to where I could work. But living in the city, my dad's big thing was you're, you're only going to be a child once. And so, listen, and my dad grew up mm. super poor, super tough, always in fights, in jail, right? Like my dad was one of those cats. Yeah, yeah. And so he would tell me, you're, you know, enjoy your childhood. Um, you're going to go to college. I want you to be a doctor or a lawyer. That's what you're going to do. And so no he kind of set that path out for me. And, of course, being a teenage kid by that time, I was resisting in everything. I'm like, no, I'm going to go into real estate. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But <laughs> thank God I got hurt playing football, and that's what led me into chiropractic is a, a chiropractor really helped me with a neck injury from football. But anyway. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, so I didn't know anything. My, my Literally, my path went through high school, get into CSU knowing I wanted to go to chiropractic school, went two, three years in CSU, went to chiropractic training, finished, and now I'm a business owner. So literally I was working at a restaurant. Wow. I was working at a GNC. I became uh, certified in massage so that I could do that through chiropractic school. So I always worked for someone. And I think why now, because of my nature and because of my upbringing, I always see myself as a great number two, number three guy, right? Mm. Like, like I see myself, my strength. And I think that's a really important thing for people to, to know listening. Not everyone's cut out to be the number one. Not everyone's right. cut out to start a company or be the next Google or even do the next Ramos Enterprise, right? Not everyone's cut out for that. And if you're self-aware and if you've tried it and it's not your thing or if you just feel more comfortable in a different spot, there's no 
good, bad, or indifferent. There's only important people doing important work, right? Yes, and so that's yes. where I, I found after having five clinics and having you as part of two of those five and having a, a partner, I realized for me, I really thrive in the environment where I, I play a key role to the key people, to the number one. That's wow. where I'm in my element. Wow, and that's where that team element comes about to what, Absolutely. You're, what you're mentioning. Interesting, was your dad a team player? My dad was very much a, um, he was more of a, a loner, but so he was a social loner where he, he had lots of friends, but because he had such a bad temper <laughs> and because he loved to fight so much that there oh, would be gosh. people that would come around. In fact, one time the, the police came to my grandma's house and said, uh, you know, Mama Hoven or whatever they called her, um, is your son around? She's like, uh, no, he's not around. Why? Well, he's leading people, but he's leading them all the wrong way. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, my dad was a, was a tough, tough man and uh, just an amazing he, – he did give me complete freedom. Our discipline was really low at our house because I was so afraid of him yeah. because of how tough he was. He never had to do anything other than – like just his presence made me be like, I'll be cool. And my nature is very, very calm. Not, I'm not a rule breaker, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it all worked out for my nature with his nature was good because we didn't butt heads a lot. That's uh, funny because, of course, uh, you know, for everybody listening out there, I, you know, Jim and I, as you know, we've known each other for over 20 years. As he just mentioned, we had a couple of clinics together that we worked together. Uh, my medical practice and, and his chiropractic uh practice melded together nicely for a very successful practice and and uh through all that i know his father and i don't know if you remember the first time i met him but um he came in the clinic and he would had that sciatica and uh you and <laughs> you had that? been seeing him and adjusting him and stuff and i think he was even insulting to you like i want to see a real doctor or absolutely something like that. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> something like that yes thanks that, pop <laughs> that, yeah yeah and i remember i remember the funniest thing though this is the part that i hope you'll remember because I, this still stands out to me he's like doc doc i walk in the room i, you know, I shake his hand he's like doctor i got this pain right in my ass <laughs> and he point, puts his finger down in there i was like i mean i could just tell oh man he was just you know he's, he's a rough and tumble i could i could tell even now absolutely and my, my dad has a lot of the, the same characteristics my dad was the youngest of 12 so he was the whooping boy for 11 others including his wow. sisters yeah and and my dad wasn't a real big guy when he was growing up you know now he's a pretty thick uh, guy you know maybe five eight 220 but but at the you know growing up he was slim and slender and you know got beat up on all the time and so they tell stories about his brothers beating him up and he would take off running from him get just far enough away from him and he whip out his slingshot and shoot him <laughs> with a slingshot so he was like a natural born killer he wow. didn't care if he what he was going for it right yeah and so you know he raised me not to uh not to lose okay yeah he probably felt like you know like he did maybe as the youngest of 12 for long enough he absolutely me not to. and it's probably one of the things that's driven me um, to be a driver. Yep. You know, I mean, uh, you know, you work with me, you know, um, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I like, uh, I like driving. I like pushing. I like trying to be better every day or do something differently or look at something through a new lens or a new light. And I'm always challenged to do that. And I, you know, I start to get bored if I'm not doing that. And, um, and so that's funny how our father's influence have played into each of our lives. Absolutely. Have you noticed this takes me off on a little bit of a tangent, but have you noticed the way that you were raised did it cause you now with you being a father of four, me being father of four, did it change the way that you ra or obviously influence, but were you, do you do it different or do you do it more the same? Cause I do it far different, right. Than my dad mm -hmm. did a more, way more like my mom. Mm. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. 
So I would say that I'm um, probably like half like my dad. Mm-hmm. And so um, my dad's um, strongest points that I believe in hindsight contributed to my success were instilling in me an incredible sense of discipline. Um, when he told me to do something, I just did it. Even if I didn't like it or agree with it or whatever, I did it. As you said earlier, partially out of fear mm-hmm. of my father um, and partially out of respect, but I did it. And um, and so, and my dad also didn't tolerate anything. So there was no gray. It was black and it was white. Whether he was right or wrong, there was a black and there was a white. And if you crossed that line of how he felt it should be, you got a swift ass kicking yep and no questions asked and as i look back i was always such an inquisitive mind running hungry pushing pushing that have i had i not had a father like that i probably would have been hell on wheels i tell my wife i probably would have been the leader of the crips or the bloods or somebody right because i was that and that sense of discipline though they instilled in me and such um kept me in check enough to where then um you know uh, my beliefs in God and my talents and other things could then come forward that may not have. And so I raised my kids with that same discipline. At the same time, my dad was such a hard ass that, uh, and you may have heard me say this before, you know, I, I remember him telling me he loved me twice um, through like probably my, I don't know, it's probably my second year of college. I think he told me at once when his father died. Well, I know when he told me because they're easy to remember. He told me once when his father died. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I was 12 years old. And he told me when, um, when my mother left him after 27 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. So his pain led to him sharing his expression of love. And I can tell you both times he said, I can, t- I can tell you where I was sitting both times he did it. Then my he said, I love, you, I love you, son. Yeah, I can tell you where I was sitting. So that is something that I changed with my kids. Mm-hmm. So they get a swift kick in the ass when they do stuff wrong. But then I explained to them I love them. And I explained to them why we don't live that way what our value system is in case they forgot it. And I think it instills a little bit more. That's I would have respected my father. I, I respect him to this day and respected him then, but I would have respected him that much more had he, had he just had that edge. So I, that's why I say half, you know, half right. of my father's traits and then half of them I run from. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would say the same tr- is true for me with my dad. He wasn't a disciplinarian because he didn't have to be. And I was a good kid, right? I wasn't the one trying to break the rules. I just wanted to, to do my thing and chase my dreams and be good at sports and whatever. Um, but my dad was um, very, he wanted to show love. He just didn't really know how, you know, he, yes. was, he was more yes. of that fighter side. And so he, he kept that in. And so I learned a lot how to be a parent different than what my dad parented. Yeah. And so he taught me great lessons. My mom, on the other hand, was the ultimate nurturer. And I felt almost like my mom's protector in a way. And I was just going to ask you how your mom was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom's super soft, super gentle, hardworking, completely detail-oriented, every, all the organizational skills in the world. And so I wish I would have gotten more of those from mm-hmm. her, but I definitely got the personality side of, of the kindness and the empathy. She mm-hmm. just instilled that into me. And so I, that's what I've taken into my parenting. And I think if I had to give one summation of parenting for me is when my kids were little. So not now, cause now they're all, you know, 23 to 34, but yes. when they were little guys, my big thing was I want them to look back and say they had a happy childhood. Oh, yes. And so I, that's, that was my parameter, my box. Mm-hmm. And so if, if they stayed at someone's house, I didn't care. 
as long as I knew they were safe and having a good time and not getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. If they were at our house, I didn't care. People could spend the night on a Thursday night of school as long as stuff was done, they had a good time, they were safe, all those same rules so that when we look back, and I ask them to this day, how would you rate your childhood? You know, I can't change it now, but yeah. did I do a good job? So that's, that's cool. Having my parents go through that, that really <clears throat> shaped me. Well, my dad, uh, uh, well, and quickly on my mom, I, it's funny, you talked earlier about how similar we have from the small high school and small kind of upbringing, these dads that are kind of roughneck guys, and we're very similar to in our mothers. My mom is the ultimate lover. She just loves, um, she'll forgive you for anything. She's proud of you for everything. Um, you know, very spiritual lady um, who just just overflows with kindness and love. And, you know, if she can bake you something, if she can get you something, you know, she was always there kind of patching up for my dad's over discipline. Uh, Absolutely. Stuff. Our moms and, are the same. Oh man. She was so much that way. Yeah. So that, that, that's funny. Very similar there. And I know your mom, by the way, and that's such an accurate description. She's like a, like a <laughs> angel on earth and she yeah, and, and my wife Thank still, you. when she comes into town, they go get together, get together every time. Yep. Stuff and, yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's wow. good stuff. Now, how did you end up in medical school compared? Because you, I know um, you wanted to go be an Air Force pilot, right? Jet yeah, pilot, yeah. fighter pilot. Mm -hmm. And then that takes a, a turn and you end up in medical school. Tell us that story. Yeah, and I'll give you one step um, prior to that because it leads into that story. And that is one thing that my dad was fantastic about that I have tried to carry on with my kids was he took me to do all the cool guy stuff. So what I mean by that was we were always hunting fishing, camping. If he wasn't working, we were gone to a trap shoot. There was not a minute of sit down. It was, you know, we were active, right? So we'd ride horses and, you know, rope and brand cows and, you know, climb mountains. And we're always doing something that was just so cool to me, right? When you're that age, that stuff is cool. Wow. I don't care what you're, you know, what you're doing. If, if your dad will take you and run and go fishing or whatever. And so I'd highly encourage any dads listening uh, to this to, just remember that because that's one of the things that had my dad been the, cause he was, I would, I would consider him a severe disciplinarian and had my dad just been that we might not have the relationship we have today. Um, it was that other part of him where he was like, you know, made a man of me, uh, you know, taking me to do that stuff. So you know? good. Yeah. And so, but that leads into it. So what happened is part of what he uh, did with me all the time was took me trap shooting. And we did a lot of trap shooting. We traveled the country trap shooting. Um, that, so you were uh, competitive. Competitive. And, and as I think you know, that led to a, basically an Olympic tryout for right. me. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so um, as a Nevada state champion for multiple years, uh, both as a, as a young man at the men's level, um, I won the overall for the state of Nevada several years, got invited to, uh, into the Hall of Fame um, for Nevada in trap shooting. And... Um, you know, went to the world trap shoot and um, ran my first perfect score there and got to, you know, shoot in Los Angeles, the 84 Olympic tryouts. Um, eight, well, it was 88 Olympics, but it was 84 through 88 that I, I did a lot of my shooting with the Olympic team and met all these movie stars there. So my family got to join me on that. But that came from my father taking me to all those trap shoots and being involved in my life. Right. And then, um, and through the course of that, there was, we would go to these trap shoots and there was this guy that was always, there were two guys that were always there. Uh, that were wonderful people. And one of them there was a neurosurgeon known as Doc. And the other one, I think it was Doc Ho Hogan, H-O-G-A, and I think it's been a long time now, but he was a dentist. And I remember they both got to trap shoot. They both got called Doc. Everybody looked at him with all this respect. And uh, I was like, well, that's what I want to be. No other reason. I mean, as, as loose as that sounds, uh, I want to be a dentist. That's what I'm going to be. 
And so I go away to college and, and, and I'm mixing actually two parts of my college experience here because what had happened is I wanted to be a dentist and then at the same time, so Austin, Nevada is in the center of Nevada, but not that 112 mile town away that I mentioned, that's Fallon, Nevada. And you may have heard of Fallon Naval Air Base. It's where they train the top gun pilots. Right. So the top gun pilots, you know, if you're in an F-16, at that time it was F-16, I don't think there was an F-18 or whatever that they are now, but you take off from there, you know, I don't know, we're probably seven minutes away, right? It's like, bam, you're in Austin. And they used right. to come down and we lived in this canyon, in this mountain range, they would come down and they would shoot up this canyon massive sonic booms would go off. In fact, they blew the windows out of many of the business on, on different days. And this town people wouldn't even get mad because everybody would be out there cheering as they come through. Every day was like an air wow. show. Yeah, these fighter pilots would scream down this valley and up this canyon and blow the windows out of the businesses on some occasions. And everybody's like, yeah, that's so cool. You know, that's the best thing I've ever seen. So, of course, what I want to be, I want to be a fighter pilot, right? So I want to be a fighter pilot throughout my entire childhood. And then about my junior, senior year kind of in there, I kind of start thinking, well, this dentist stuff sounds pretty cool. And, and again, you know, nothing happens by accident in life. And I, I believe that we, you know, God just has this plan for us that's set out and kind of preps us. And so what, and, and I'll get to why I say that in just a minute. What happens is I apply in at the end of high school to get into a military academy, United States Air Force Academy. And um, it's a pretty rigorous process to get into an academy with regard to test scores and, and GPA and physical fitness. And, you know, you interview, you have to get a congressional nomination appointment. You meet congressmen and they, you know, I'm out in Austin, Nevada. I don't know any congressmen. Right. Sorry. Anyway, yeah, again, by God's grace, I get into the United States Air Force Academy and I get accepted in. Um, I'm True Blue 92 Gut Squadron. And go in there. There's I don't know. There's probably 700 kids that start. There's about 450 that finish after boot camp. It's essentially officers training school, and people are dropping out by the day, just quitting. You know, it's three months of just hell. I could. We'll do one whole episode on academy boot camp. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> that's going to be legit. If any, if any parent has a as a kid that's thinking about going to it, that will be one that they they'll enjoy. I'll t- I'll tell them about you know being told to pick my spit up off the ground and put it back in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me how you do that. But anyway, long story short, I go to the Air Force Academy. I finished boot camp, um, a second lieutenant, start into the schooling process. And but just before I had gone in, they had told me I could not be uh, front seat in a fighter. Um, I had 2,300 vision in each eye, and I take allergy medicine every day. Um, just, I mean, I can drink a cup of coffee, and it'll set off my allergies, and I'll get congested and be kind of nasally. Right. Um, um, a glass of wine will do that to me. Simple things do it to me. Sagebrush, grass, anything. Very sensitive to those kind of things. Live a great life, but, you know, 10 milligrams of Claritin a day and, and things are good. But anyway, long story short, I, I go into the academy knowing I couldn't do that, but they said that I could probably get a waiver and be a bomber pilot. Well, what you realize when you're in there is, is that even with a waiver, I mean, you know, that's kind of second best. And to that point in my life, I had never played to be second best. Right. You know, I, again, I've never been much of a good kind of a, you know, like settling guy. I've always kind of been the guy pushing. And there I felt like um, there were guys who, you know, I go back to again how my dad raised me, guys whose asses I could kick who were going to be the front seat. And I'm going to be over there walking over to my bomber, you know, growling down the runway. <laughs> and I was like, man, I see nothing good about this. So um, how the Air Force Academy works is the first year of education is free. And if you start the second year, you owe them two years for every year you were there. So the end of that first year is a real critical decision time. Because if you stay a year and a day, you owe them four years, two years for the first year and two years for the day. If you leave at the year mark exactly or before, to get out with no obligation. 
so the academy was a fantastic experience for me for a year, and I left and I left other. Now this is where I say nothing happens by accident. You remember that I love those Navy planes flying down the valley, but I also saw those two doctors and uh, just thought that they were the cat's meow, right? Right. And they just happened to be the nicest, caring guys, and they, just, they did everything I loved, and I just related with them. And so that was meant to be in my life. I didn't even realize that from years earlier because it was building me up for what my fall would be. Sure. Because when I went back home from the Air Force Academy, I felt like an ultimate failure, like just the biggest failure because I go back to this little bitty town that kind of sees me off, and... Um, they're so happy, and I'm like the kid getting written up in the newspaper. It doesn't take much to be a star in a small town, right? And, and but this was a big deal, right? Anywhere, for sure, right? And so, um, you know, everything had gone right for me to that point in my life. In, in Nevada, I had been named. Uh, they they picked ten kids in the entire state from Las Vegas, Reno, all the towns. They picked ten kids that were the top ten scholar athletes. Most all of us had athletic scholarships to college and 4.0 grade point averages, essentially. And, you know, I was that. And everything had gone right for me. Olympic tryouts and, you know, just, I mean, it was really good, right? Yes. And now all of a sudden I was failing and coming back home. And I was like, I was letting everybody down and you know everybody. And I wanted to just like run from that small town, right? And I remember coming back and feeling like a massive failure. And my dad said, well, what are you gonna do now? I was like, I don't really know. And he's like, well, you better figure it out. You know, I was like, oh, I guess I'm not going to be staying home very long. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it was, it was kind of my clue that the house was full. Yes. And so uh, so, um, so I started looking, and I, I figured out what it was going to take to get into college. And uh, I told my dad, I said, oh, I'm going to go to school, and I'm going to be a dentist. <laughs> Again, I just picked it out of the blue, right? Thank God I didn't set up for something like that. And he's like, all right, how much is your rent going to cost you? And uh, he, I said, well, I think it's 500 a month. And he Wrote a check. And for my dad, this was a big deal. And for me, this was a big deal. Wrote a check for $3,000, gave it to me, said, you know, don't ever ask me for anything again. Gave me the money. And I was like, wow. No I, kidding. Yeah. And did you know what school you were going to at that point? Where the where the money would go? Did you have all that planned out I, yet? I did because I called a cousin of mine who was in school, Joey Dory, and uh, he had a two-bedroom, one-bath apartment. And I, uh, you know, asked him if, you know, if he had a roommate or, if, you know, if he wanted one. And timing just worked out. It was meant to be. And that's how I knew what my rent was going to be because of what his rent was. Sure. And so that's where I moved. I moved with him. I had the first six months of rent covered, so I quickly figured out how to work and get a job and um, started going to school. And I'll never forget this. I went two years of school telling everybody, I'm going to be a dentist, I'm going to be a dentist, I'm going to be a dentist. And then I volunteered in a dental hygienist clinic because I couldn't get a, you know, in a dentist office, you can't really do anything. In a dental hygienist clinic, they'll let you prep people and get in their face and set them up and all this. And it was the worst experience of my life <laughs> just looking in people's mouths and doing the whole thing well i love to talk <laughs> as probably the <laughs> listeners have figured out you haven't said anything about 10 minutes i love to talk and and the people don't like to talk they right can't. they can't their mouths are pried open I, I i like happy uh i enjoy stuff i i generally want to smile and laugh nobody's happy about going to the dentist right or dental hygienist nobody's happy um i you know i like people but i like my space I don't get right in people's face and touch noses when I talk to them. And you're right in people's grill. Right. And I also, like, I like to tear things apart. My dad's a mechanic. When you want to get in something, you tear it apart. Right? Well, you're in this little tight hole of someone's mouth, pulling back their lips just so you can see something. Right. So you're in their face. They can't talk. They're not happy. 
you're not happy. It's just, it was terrible. I was like, what in the hell am I going to do? Well, thank God. Remember I told you to start a story. There were two docs. Yep. One was a dentist, one was a neurosurgeon. I said, oh, I'm going to be the other kind of doctor. <laughs> <laughs> if not, not A, I got to go B. Yeah, because now I'm not too far off what I've told everybody. You know, half of what people go through life doing is image, right? What if I told people I don't want to look bad about now, right? right. Which is really, and we, we should have a whole, we should have a whole talk about that. But anyway, uh, it wasn't too far off what I had told people, and I didn't want to let people down a second time. And so I went and volunteered at, um, it was in Sparks, Nevada. I'm trying to think of the hospitals at the tip of my tongue. Um, at that time, it's not that hospital today. I forget the name of it. Sparks Valley Hospital or something. Anyway, there was a hospital in Sparks, and I went and volunteered over there in surgery and recovery. And again, it was meant to be. I, I went into the operating room with an orthopedic surgeon. We did a hip replacement. I say we. <laughs> I sat in the corner and watched with my eyes huge and was like, oh my gosh. Like saucer, seeing the body open up in front of you? Open up Holy and smokes. physical work and hammering and sighing. It was brutal. There was nothing friendly or simple or right or elegant, elegant about it. Right? Oh, yeah. no, it's complete beating they give the patient <laughs> while they're out. <laughs> so anyway, I was like, man, this is it. This is what I'm doing. And, um, and you know, so that I, I finished my undergraduate um, and uh, majored in biology, minored in chemistry. Got uh, got uh, my own chemistry lab in college, and was getting paid to tutor uh, as well as be a lab technician. I believe IBM was paying for our lab, and uh, that was absolutely phenomenal. So then I got to make money while at school without leaving campus, while setting myself up for my dream. That's brilliant. School. So was, was was school hard for you, or I mean, because you you have um, I mean. Because these people don't know you, I know you, and your bandwidth to take in information from zero to 100, I've never met anyone that takes in so much information and gets it so correct in a short time, right? Mm -hmm. Like your curve to mastery or towards mastery is less than than um, anybody I know. Is that always something that has been just, you've been blessed with is the ability to uptake info like that? Yeah. um, Yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. You know, I... I can take tests very well, and I can understand things pretty quickly. Um, but I also work hard, so I've always attributed it to hard work because mm-hmm. I've always found that to be the more honorable way than to say, "Yeah, you know, it comes naturally." I would I'd rather think it came from hard work right. because I'm not afraid to put in the hours or the time and work. And um, but I do absorb it, and I, and it does make sense to me when I see things. If something doesn't make sense, I'm one of those guys that I work at it till it makes sense, mm-hmm. and then I get it. And when I get it, then watch out. And so um, school was, was fairly easy for me. Um, undergraduate was, um, you know, again, uh, you know, that's why I almost double majored with, you know, in chemistry and biology. Uh, and then um, and was able to work throughout. In fact, I worked the first two years of medical school. I waited tables at Tony Roma's while while wow. in medical school. And, uh, of course, there's another story in there where I, you know, we all follow parents, our parents' footsteps and we can get into how I got a girl pregnant. Uh, in college, uh, if you'd like to, but anyway, so uh, that came that came pretty easily to me, and then um, and then medical school is very enjoyable, and as was law school for that matter, both very very enjoyable. I I think that you do well at stuff, and I you know I anybody who's listening probably knows this. If you have a general interest in something, and some people call it passion, um, 
But if you have a general interest in something, you get it. And you, you get it even when you don't want to get it because you're interested. Right. And I have a mind that's interested in everything. <laughs> that, <laughs> that I will attest to. Uh, which is, you know, I gotta, can't, I can't get away from that. But That's yeah. funny. You know, um, that reminds me of that concept that you and I have talked about many times, biggest strength, biggest weakness. For me, I find that one of my biggest strengths is I'm, I can improvise really well. Mm-hmm. I can communicate very well. I have no problem really navigating through any situation, but that then being my biggest strength becomes my biggest weakness because I don't have to always pay attention to every detail because I'll find someone to help me figure it out. I don't have to always have the best plan because it'll always work itself out. Like, you know, so I'm not the ultimate detail organized guy like what my mom was. I'm interested for you because your biggest strength is hard work and, and the ethical side of things and just grinding and never quitting and pushing have you found that to be a weakness for you in any way? And if so, how? Yeah, it's a big weakness in a couple areas. And um, one of them is focus. Um, you know, nowadays they diagnose people with, like me with ADHD. Um, <laughs> but the, you know, I, I really don't get that. It's unfortunate we put everybody on medicines for, you know, for being inquisitive. Really, right? That's really what it gets down to. Absolutely. Being curious and asking more questions and getting off track with something else. is isn't really a bad thing. But where it becomes bad and where it's, it's I think as you question where it's been a negative is this. Um, if I have a particular project, let's just say that I'm studying how a, blood, a drug crosses the blood-brain barrier. That's a very simple thing I need to look into, right? How do you right. get it across the blood-brain barrier? What happens is if I'm reading about a particular enzyme that also decreases inflammation, it's also in the area, and it triggers another enzyme that results in anti-aging and longevity, and that triggers something that basically is affected by the testicles and the adrenals and direct feedback from the pituitary. Pretty quick, I go on this long because I'm interested in every bit of it. You went following the entire oh, pathway and pap. I'm all over it, man. <laughs> I, I, I can tell you about the everything from the pituitaries to the testicles, and I just started off with what crosses the blood-brain barrier, you know? <laughs> and and that, that gets you off base sometimes. Now, I'm enjoying it the whole time. Right. But sometimes, you know, uh, things will flash. And, you know, last night I was I got off to reading on a topic. And as you know, you probably get emails from me at after 1 a.m. Absolutely. I saw them today. I was reading on something and I got into it. I had a ton of things to do. I couldn't stop. I was so interested. I, I could I can teach you a whole bunch about some stuff you probably don't want to want to hear about. I don't know if you know anything about conservation easements in Nebraska, but I can tell you all about them. Oh, that's <laughs> you know, beautiful. It was something that, you know, I, I, there was a, a ranch and a conservation easement issue and I got to studying it and, and then learning, you know, how these things apply to land and property and ranches and what you could do and couldn't do and how they affect water rights and how you can limit them to game and, and how you can limit them to farming and ranching and blah, 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 blah. It led me down this whole rabbit hole of, of stuff. And, you know, it all started over, I forget what, how I got even off on that track. I think it was probably one of these little tickler teasers that pop up in the middle of my email I was supposed to be working on or something. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so that it can be a downfall there. Absolutely. I, I get that. Yeah. And, you know, it, what you just said brings something really important to my mind, which is when you start down, looking down a path of something, sometimes it doesn't always a, appear what it is. So you start yeah. seeing something, but you're a visionary, and so you see it. You see what could be, you see how it develops, you see how it could take off. And I think like that's a really unique skill set. And that's something that not everyone has. And to that goes back to me to that self-awareness game of knowing who you are and then who you need to put around you to make sure mm. that 
that the things that you are important to your life you get to do and that the big goals get accomplished by the teamwork would you say that oh, that team is a big part of man, what you do you you just hit on like a spot for me if there's a place that <clears throat> i've grown as a person over the years um it has been when i was going through that whole you know medical school you know chemistry, biology, which you heard a lot of is I, 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 I did this, this came easy to me, this, whatever. The, one of the biggest maturity steps for me in my professional development was when I began to learn that it wasn't an I, I doesn't go very far. And, you know, even when you're going through like residency, it's all about I, how hard do I work? What am I doing? What am I home learning? Right. And what you start to learn is you get overwhelmed on cases in the hospital, overwhelmed on, you know, people to sew up at the end of your shift, overwhelmed on, you know, different things. And the minute that you get the we into stuff, the team part of stuff, it is such an incredible weight off and success becomes, um, and not just success, satisfaction, personal growth becomes so much bigger. Um, now I understand that, you know, people like Michael Jordan, again, to use something you've heard me tell our team before here, um, he was great, but he was not great, great, great. He was great because he had Scottie Pippen, Mark Price, Dennis Rodman. He was surrounded by this team of That's people right. who to this day, a lot of people don't even know their names, right? Um, Kobe was great. He had Shaq. Yeah, you know, there's other people on that team. Absolutely. Uh, to this day, Magic Johnson was great, but he was surrounded by, you know, there was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. There were all these other people that had to be on those teams. And then those people with those special gifts could excel and mm -hmm. they could become the names we know today. If you put any of them alone on a team, they weren't really all that. Right. And that piece, when that came into my life, understanding, um, and I think at first you feel like you have to do it all, because especially if you've been the one that's made it. You know, if it was your hard work that got you through chiropractic school, you start to feel like, I can do it. That's right. right. And what do we all teach our kids? Say, I can do it, right? Yep. Well, you know, really, that's good to a point, but that, that, only, that tire only wears so much tread. And you hit a point where you really cap your growth and you really cap knowledge. You know, and I don't mean, I'm not just talking business, but personal, professional, emotional, you know, um, spiritual. You know, as I began to grow as a Christian is when I started to share with other men my faith. Mm. I started to share when I, when I became better about how my dad was with me emotionally, with the whole love thing. When I began to share those, I began to get better with my kids and my kids with me. And that's a little team in and of itself, right? And, and in, our, in our law firm, in our medical practice that we have together, the more that the, that the we comes in, the stronger it starts to get. No question about that. And, and you know, as we've, as we've experienced, I mean, it's overwhelming. Then you can't run the success off. That's right. And, you know, I, if, for anybody who knows the name John Maxwell, he's considered one of the, le the leadership gurus in our time right now. And he's in his early 70s, mid-70s now. And one thing he said and taught that really stuck home with me is we can hit a ceiling doing us right like we're doing mm -hmm. our thing we're growing and we're making it happen but if you want exponential growth of any area of your life whether it's your finances or your business or your relationships that's when the team comes into play everything you just said that's that incremental versus exponential and i yes. think that's a powerful concept that anyone listening should take and say what teams am i involved in and what role do i play and what role do these others play and how can we leverage each other's strengths and hold each other accountable and, and grow. I've seen that to be 
huge in the success of what we've created here and our continued expansion, both in this and in the medical practice. It's, it's really fantastic to me to watch what we can do as opposed to what Absolutely. I can do. Absolutely. And, you know, and it starts, it doesn't matter what your job is, what your profession is. Um, it starts at home. You know, start with your wife, start with your kids. And um, I remember when we got married, when I married my wife, um, my siblings said, it'll never last. <laughs> they, were giving, they were giving us like, I don't think they thought we'd make a month. We were both, you know, type A driven, uh, uh, you know, just go getters, right? They're yes. like, oh my gosh, this is like fire and gasoline, <laughs> you know, matching gasoline. <laughs> and, um, but I am happier married today than I was 20 years ago. And I love my wife to pieces. And the reason um, that we grew together to that point where we are today is, is was a team approach, a we approach, right? We found out something that she was good at. And even if I was good at it, um, we decided she was going to do it maybe. And if we found something that I was good at that she was also good at, she decided I was going to do that. And we found a way to be a team and to play off each other and to magnify each other as opposed to push each other down. And, you know, you've heard the analogy of the crabs getting out of a bucket. We live in a society um, and our own personal relationships, really, our friendships are this way sometimes. Sometimes we hang around people who remind me of crabs in a bucket. If you throw a bunch of crabs in a bucket, they start climbing on top of each other to try to get out. And what happens, they get just to the top of the bucket because they've leveraged themselves up the other crabs. And what do they do? A crab reaches up and grabs them and he pulls them back in the bucket. And they keep pulling them down. That's old saying, misery loves company, right? And we need to push people out. We need to, you know, man, you're getting out, good, climb on my back, let me give you a shove. You get out, somebody else is gonna help me get out. Maybe, who knows, that crab might be able to get outside and reach back over and pull you out. That's we right. We never know that though, because we're so busy pulling people back down. And so the one thing that's been wonderful about my marriage, the one thing that's been wonderful about our businesses is I am surrounded by people from the moment I get up in the morning at home to the moment I come back that night by people who are pushing people out of the bucket. They're helping people get somewhere. They, they're excited for people's success. As you know, we have many people who we worked with who we don't work with anymore. We are incredibly excited and genuinely excited about their success. We That's love right. to see people do well. And, um, you know, life's too short, world's too small, there's too much to conquer to root against anybody. Amen to that. Mm -hmm. I want to transition a little bit. Again, we could talk for three, yeah, yeah, four, yeah. five hours. I, I want to transition a little bit into the concept of something I heard on uh, on a Tim Ferriss podcast, actually, where a really high-powered hedge fund manager, they were talking about different things and, and how to make the world a better place and this and that, and how to take the lead in your industry. And what this guy said was profound because you and I both fit this thing without trying. We didn't try to do it. It's just where we ended up. But he said, there can only be one best in the world at anything. There can only be one, right? Because there's only one mm. spot for that. Yep. And so if you're in order to be best in the world, instead of trying to be best in the world as a lawyer or mm. me as a chiropractor or a director of operations, for me to, to be best in the world, that's not as easy to do as to start combining things, combining skills then you become best far quicker because there's far fewer in that mold. For example, I'm a chiropractor by training, but then it led into different kind of business development and coaching and leadership and all that. So now I've got several things. I'm not just quote unquote, I and mean, this is not a slight to any DC. I'm not just a chiropractor. I'm a chiropractor with different skill sets than the average chiropractor has. You, you're not only a medical doctor, board certified in ER, but you're also an attorney. Though that combination is very unicornish, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's just not, 
there's virtually none of those in comparison with the general population. Mm -hmm. And so I think where I'd like to spend a few minutes is that concept of combining skills and talents, because while everyone listening, they might not have any desire to go to medical school, law school, Cairo school, MBA school. They have unique talents that they can combine to absolutely. make themselves special in anything. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I um, well, well, let's talk about you in that way as director of operations here. You know, when I look at you, I, I see, you know, a colleague and I start with the equal yoking of our values and the integrity that you carry forward. And that's a skill. Integrity, believe it or not, isn't in its way. It's an own skill set. Now, yeah, you have it or you don't, I believe, with integrity. But um, you exemplify that in a way that it's like a tool because it's just how you live your life. It's how you walk your life. And then you combine that with your work ethic. You combine that with your with your um, knowledge, your medical knowledge. And then you combine that with how you've taken your work ethic, your knowledge, and your integrity, and you magnified that to learn how to run um, businesses, multi offices, um, being part of an organization with three or 400 offices, I believe. And, and, you know, you being in one of the top three or four people in that whole entire company to be able to bring people together, to be able to understand people, to be able to have the energy, the excitement, the enthusiasm, the knowledge, the professionalism to bring people together like that and to hold them together. And so when I look at you as a colleague, as a peer, I see this multi-talented guy that if you were, and again, no slight to just DC, as you said, no slight to just MD, if there's an MD listening or whatever, if you're just that, yeah, good. But you know, where's your richness? Where do you gather? If you gather that in that title and those two initials, got some issues. Great point. Right? And, and I don't think that you or I gather our richness from our title. Um, we love knowledge and we love sharing and we love growing. And that develops multiple skill sets naturally. Some come with a degree and some don't. But I'll tell you, I worked around a lot of people with degrees and a lot of people without, and I there aren't many of the degree people I would take. And, <laughs> and I, have, I, have the, I have that, you know, again, selfishly, I have that opportunity to do that in this business. Right. I could hire a, whoever I wanted to be the director of operations. And I could not wait until you came on the market. And I told you that when we got together, I was secretly just waiting for oh, your boss to so blow kind. it. Because I just, you know, I, you know, I, I know um, who you are and, and, you know, what you can do and where your talent level is as you show each and every day and as you lead each and every day within the organization. And, and, um, and everybody has that. Everybody has that. Everybody needs to find that. And if you don't think you have it, um, you're being too self-critical. Yeah. So you need to look for it yeah, and, and maybe it. ask sure. people that really truly know you because mm -hmm. some people have higher self-esteem than others. Right? And by the way, thank you so much for those kind words like that just fills my heart and my soul um, to, to hear that not because of me, but rather because what I'm trying to do in effect everything that you and I are trying to grow along with the rest of this team, it just, um, you know, it's, it's humbling and it's honoring. So mm. thank you for that. But moving to other people, how they go about finding these strengths, is it asking, do you think? Is that what, you, like, if you didn't know, if your self-esteem isn't good and you don't know what to do, do you think that you ask people that you care about or do you just start tasting things and see where you have a natural bent or maybe a little combination? Well, um, I'll give you an analogy here of how I, how I think you identify it, and I'll give you a true one. Um, and I don't even know if I can explain this properly, but um, you, know, the f you need to identify where you gather your sense of value. And hopefully your first answer isn't money. Hopefully it's something meaningful and deeper and richer, right? 
And for us, and I know for you and for our entire team, I gather incredible sense of value um, when we touch someone's life. And if I see a person who's happy and I see a person who was struggling or I see a person who was in a really difficult spot and they all of a sudden, yeah, you almost picture the weight come off of them, I get an incredible sense of accomplishment. And that's why I really mean it when I say a $5,000 case, if you want to call it law, is just as important to me as a $500,000 case, as they say. Because um, it's not the value driver or it's not that dollar amount that made it valuable or rich. It's the um, it's how much I know I helped that person. And maybe that comes from several setbacks in my life from failing the Air Force Academy to one thing we didn't cover me getting a girl pregnant my first year of college when I wasn't married to her. Um, I have done a lot of things to try to screw things up. I've had some good setbacks. Um, you know, again, I was raised in a three bedroom, two bath, double wide trailer with eight kids and 10 at one point. Right. Um, that's been easy. Right. Those things though, um, those, those setbacks that, that make you stronger, what, what they do is if you look at them, there's, there's something very valuable and rich in them and how you touch other people's lives. So here's the real example I wanted to get to that I said I think might be tough to, to and maybe I can't explain it well in a talking fashion, but I'm going to try. Um, I have a very good friend, um, Angel, who is a past IV drug abuser, um, homeless, uh, was living on the streets. He's lost some of his teeth. He... Um, He's been what I consider the bottom, the very, very bottom. I, uh, he's not just a very good friend. He's, he's family. I love that guy. I would do anything for him. I trust him with everything in my life, including my family. When I leave town, he stays with my kids. And you go, whoa, hold on a minute. Well, yeah, here, hold on a minute to this. This guy has touched more people's lives than I have. He's made more meaningful impact. And you say, you're being superficial. No, I'll hear this out. Here's a guy who was at the bottom of the barrel, ivy drug abusing, homeless, you know, I'm hoping he died, picking up needles off the street type of a thing and using them. And he got himself clean on his own. Now, first of all, let me tell you, is that a, is that a mark of a man? That is ridiculously hard. Can you ridiculously imagine? Ridiculously hard can to you, do. Can you imagine? He just literally, by the grace of God, said, no, no more. more. No more, right? Now, here's what he's done with that. Now he's invited to Golden High School to speak several years in a row. First time he was invited, you could see the nervousness on his face. He was like, oh, God, you, you talk all the time, Joe. You know, oh, geez, what? You know, listen. I'm like, dude, you just be angel. And he went up there, and he, I don't know what he said or how he said it because I didn't watch it. But I can tell you this. They've invited him back every year, and I can tell you that every year after he's spoken, kids have come up to him and told him their struggles and what they're going through. And the teachers called him back and said how, how students came up to them and said, um, man, I really get it. I really get how that one decision can alter my life. And I really get it. Now, who's changed more lives? Wow. Right? That guy's touching people at age 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, setting off their entire life in a different, in a different trail. And what lives are those people going to touch? But not for his story, but not for his presence, but not for his humbleness being able to be there, say that, do this, right? That's touching people's lives. Now that's making a difference. That is rich, right? So, man, I'm so proud of that guy. When I see him, when I talk to him, when I hug him, I genuinely, I'm like, man, dude, you, you know, <laughs> if I could just be like you <laughs> without going through IV drug and abuse and almost, I don't want to pay the price you paid. Yes. But why are you doing it? 
you know, you're doing the right thing. You are living life to its fullest. You are leaving a wake behind you that is tough to match because you're changing kids' lives and they're changing other kids' lives and you're changing their career. You just helped somebody for 80 years, each person. And that's huge. That is huge. It's so funny you mentioned Angel. Sean and I were just talking, my wife, Sean, and I were just talking about Angel yesterday Mm. where we were talking to the effect of this same kind of message where this person has taken himself from a position of being down and out to one where he literally has your trust at the highest levels of every part of your life. He has a connection, access, and literally almost a guardianship of, or a sentinelship might be a little more accurate, but he's, he's earned his way and the difference he's making. So I think where that's so beautiful is everyone has that opportunity. Everybody. No matter what level or strata or title or anything, yep. when you take who you are and just make the best of it, regardless of your past, your story, whatever you've gone through, that can actually make you the best version of you and you can't undo it or change it. So how do you leverage it to become the best version? And and Angel's the perfect example of that. Well, and what got us started on that was you saying, you know, um, you know, the conscious decisions you make or, or how do you f- to find out what your strength is or what your passion is or what you're going to do. And, and, and we talked about, you know, how do you m- make a team or be part of a team? And, you know, and summing that all up and how that comes together and how that leads to Angel's stories is this, look at your hardships. Look at your hardship. Start there. Everybody's had something hard in their life. Is it the death of a parent? The death, uh, the separation with a spouse? Is it, um, you know, a poor relationship with your father? What is it? You've had a challenge. Every single person has had a challenge. And start there, and and there will be something that really gets under your skin mm. and that really, really bothers you. And then you can start to make that your passion, and then you can start to grow that, and then you'll start to find somebody who can help you grow that, and then that becomes the I to we kind of phase, right? Then it starts to grow with somebody else, and then, then you start to recognize the power in the we, and then, you know, then I think that's when it really starts to impact people. I think of Ramos Law and the things that have happened uh, here. Um, and I don't know if we want to go into this right now or not, but, you know, with why I went from medicine to law, I still do both. Oh, absolutely. But, Critical story. Critical story. Well, well and I want to get that just one minute, but I want to tell you something first about that. The, you know, that grew from a passion. That grew from a getting under the skin. That grew from a, um, you know, a, I don't like this. A thing, right? And then, and then my own natural interest, and then that grew to a we, and then a, a team of people who felt the same way, and that we has now grown to a bunch of people who like to touch other people, and they're looking for stuff like you know disadvantaged youth, and and you know students who are disadvantaged that can't afford to get into law school, and and casa, and you know uh, kids that are being protected by Jefferson County, or or helping out police organizations. It's grown, and and I didn't do any of that. I was part of a we, I was part of this team of people who went, hey, you know, and one of them had a niche, you know, Ian, the guy sitting here, uh, this six, seven, six, I don't want to make you shorter than you are, maybe six, eight, six, nine guy <laughs> sitting here looking at me, you know, smiling, you know, we're involved in all these police organizations. His dad's a police officer, right? Now, every time we've talked about anything with police, who starts getting passionate? This guy right over here with a headset on looking at us, filming us, he starts like, you know, tearing up if we're talking about something with an officer, right? That's right. I'm surrounded by people with passion. Passion from an individual, uh, I don't want to call it issue, but an individual point, an individual something in their life that's very touching to them. And everybody has that. And so that's how you get the seed started. What is yours? What is your thing? What is your mate's thing? And then, you know, how do you start to grow that? And the minute you start to grow that, you start touching people. 
amazing. That's that's the that's, that's the, the magic. It's and kindling I, that just grows absolutely. and sparks and then drives on through the fuel that you create with the people around you and the vision you have. Absolutely. Yep. And 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 surround yourself with people with vision and spark. Wow. Well, you know, that there's a wow story here that people have to hear. And that's the wow of how a, a successful medical doctor, it's not like you weren't busy. You had 12 clinics, you're doing your thing, you're going through all this. And you decide through because of passion to go to law school. Now there's a gap in there that needs to be filled in on how that, that story goes. But I think the audience would love hearing how a guy who's treating patients on everyday basis, killing in business, doing great. Why law? How'd that happen? That is a question that I get asked so much, like at dinner parties, as they say, you know, when I'm out and about, people say, you know, why a lot of medicine? You know, I haven't seen that or whatever. And especially because I still practice both and I still love both. And, um, and so here's the story. And I, I hope a lot of people hear this because they'll see me from answering this question at the next dinner party. <laughs> Not that I don't love to answer it, but I, I, uh, I, I just find that it's a point of interest. And, and, and here's, what, here's what happened to me. I, I love medicine. My passion is medicine. I love people. I love, um, I just love everything about it. Uh, but through the course of medicine, and then first of all, so I am board certified in emergency medicine, and I did emergency medicine uh, as a career because I didn't want to do what I call the wallet biopsy on people. And that the wallet biopsy is when you show up at a clinic and you want care, and they ask you for your health insurance card and your copay and your, you know deductible or whatever. It, before you've even seen the doctor, before you've even had a chance to say what you're there for. You might be there to drop off the mail and they're asking you for your copay deductible and your insurance card. And, right. And they're already doing the wallet biopsy. And and I, I could, just couldn't do that to people. I wanted to take care of everybody that came in because, um, and maybe this goes back to, you know, how I grew up. And emergency medicine allowed that. It was, um, you know, when they will you in and you've been shot in the chest or they will you in and you've been in a head-on collision and you, know, you got a fractured spine. That You know, you're not asking people for their insurance card. You're, you're just them the, taking care of them. That's right. Put them on the bed and take care of them. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, homeless and, and you don't have any shoes or you're in a three-piece suit. You need a CT scan of your belly, get a CT scan of your belly. I love that. I love that about emergency medicine. And, and so I always did that I, 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 and had a great passion for that always and, and still do and loved um, that aspect of it. And through the course of that and dealing with many traumatically injured people in the hospital and such, you get called to testify a lot. Then it can be anything. I mean, I've been called to testify. I had a guy one time who was shoplifting who got tackled, and he, when they tackled him, they fractured his, his, his shoulder or his collarbone or something, and I got called to testify on that. Um, so it can be anything from shoplifting events with an injury to, you know, abuse events where, where you know, kids with marks across their bodies or burn marks or different bruising patterns to people. And I've been called to testify just about everything. Uh, lots of car crashes, lots of spinal injuries, lots of... Um, you know, criminal things, gunshot wounds, where the bullet wounds were located, how many there were. Um, I was actually on the day the Columbine shootings happened. Took care oh, of many, wow. Took care of many of those, of those kids. Uh, so anyway, long story short, um, I testified in over 100 cases um, as an expert. Uh, as a medical expert. As a medical expert, correct. Long before my law school days, or law days. And um, the, through the course of that, I've worked with just about every attorney in this town that practices auto litigation for certain many of them who've practiced medical malpractice litigation and many of them who do criminal and other forms of, of litigation. And I have a broad net when it comes to those people. The, the, those are the ones I testified on. It doesn't even count the ones that I was consulted on or talked to about that didn't make it to testimony, which has got to be 10 for every one of those. So through the course of that, I got to know a lot of attorneys in town and I really began to see a very striking difference across the board. 
I never thought real highly of attorneys myself, ever. I thought they were well-deserving of all the jokes that are told about them. And I looked at them as bottom feeders, personally. I mean, there's a doctor-lawyer thing that, you know, call it ego, call it whatever. You know, attorneys suck and doctors don't. <laughs> that's, you know, that's how I always thought. And um, I carried that bias into all of that testimony and into what I was doing. I was like, man, what are these guys, you know, were there. Well, what I noticed is some of them were really, really good. Some of the guys really cared. They wanted the truth. They would, they'd ask you questions, but even it might hurt what they were going after. They really wanted to know the truth. They were in this search. Well, that search for knowledge and information plays to me, and we talked about it earlier today. That plays to me. I love the search for knowledge and information. I'll run down that trail with you as far as you want to go, right? And I begin to get, become good friends with some very good attorneys, guys I begin to highly respect. Now, these are the guys I thought were bottom feeders. And I'm, I'm thinking, wow, that's a cool guy. I'm hanging out with him and this, you know, and, and I met others who were absolutely horrendous. I mean, the polarity amongst attorneys is striking, okay? The inside, here's the inside on law. There's some really good and there's some really bad. Mm. There's not many middle of the road people. And in medicine, there's a lot of middle. The middle of the road is actually the fullest part of the road. Sure. Okay. In law, it's not that way. It's very polar. And so the reason that the, that the word on the street on attorneys many times is bad is because there have been such horrendous, in that polarity, such horrendous attorneys that those stories, they take over the press, they take over the word that people spread from one to another. It's a well-deserved reputation. Unfortunately, it's a portion of the attorneys that are making that reputation and not all are that way. And so through this testimony uh, and this work, I began to realize some of them were really hard workers who enjoyed searching for the truth, who were trying to do the right by someone. And I began to really like that. And I began to really despise the ones who would show up. They would, they would subpoena me to court to show up. They would never meet with me. Um, I would, would wonder why I got there. I was even in the right place. I couldn't even remember who the client or patient was I'd taken care of. Sometimes I didn't even know which record I was going to refer to or if I even had the records. And they'd show up in the courtroom and do a case. Wow. You're totally in the dark. They're totally in the dark. You're set up to lose. The client's patient set up to lose. Just not a good scenario. Horrible. Or the issue, at issue, they don't understand. You have somebody with a spinal injury, and they start talking about the, the sacroiliac joint, and you're getting off base wondering, and, you know, wow, am I in the wrong spot? I thought we had a mid-thoracic, you know, uh, spinal, you know, a disc herniation. And they're not even in the right anatomic part or pronouncing it right. And they're asking you questions that make no sense. And you almost don't want to embarrass them up there. And then you start to wonder whose side they're on. And you get, it's a really ugly feeling. And it's out there. And then it happened to me a lot. And I said, this is ridiculous. And here's the thing. You, if you don't like something in life, there's only two things to do, and one of them is not to sit there and bitch about it, right? Yep. You know, you move on and you try to turn your head, which I'm not very good at, <laughs> or you go change it, right? And so I was like, screw this. And it happened after a case. I, I literally came home after a case, and I, my wife knew I loved to testify. Testifying for a medical doctor is like playing a chess game. It's um, you're on the stand, and they're trying to make a move, and and – it's just this chess game and they better know what they're doing if they're going to try to make a move on you. Right. And so I enjoy that chess game and it's live chess because you don't know where they're going and you know, and they don't know where I'm going. And, um, I really enjoyed that. And sometimes it was 
incredibly enjoyable when I'm prepped by an attorney who's asking the right questions, going the right direction. I've taught him the medicine on a particular thing. Um, he goes up there and executes the law. Beautiful. What a wonderful day. I would come home. I came home after this one particular trial, and my wife said, hey, how'd it go today, sweetie? You know, and I said, ah, that's all right. So what do you mean? What happened? I said, you know, person's story never got told. You know, attorney got way off base. didn't understand the difference between a high white count and a normal white count or what a white count even was. And I said, it was just... Yeah, I just it was, it was just terrible. The story didn't get told. It was it was you know it's really unfair. She goes, oh that that sucks. I said, yeah. So lucky I'm an attorney, and they're lucky I'm not an attorney, because if I was, they could run, but they couldn't hide. And I'll never forget those words. Cause that's exactly what I said. They could run, but they but they couldn't hide. And because that's how I felt. I felt like if I could have taken that attorney's shoes at that moment, you could have directed it to a whole different outcome. Whole different outcome. And she didn't say much. Which to me was a green light. What she meant was go to law school. <laughs> so, <laughs> good interpretation. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I got online and you know, I won't bore you with the details from there. I, look, I looked up where the next test was going to be. It was an admissions test, and I registered for the test on short notice and went and took it. And I was in law school. Yeah. Shortly thereafter. And so then you. It, this begs the question. I, I get asked it all the time in the community by people who know of you but don't know you. If you had to pick one. You don't have to pick one because you still are involved in mm-hmm. treating patients mm-hmm. in, in a certain aspect. And then obviously you're, we've got this incredible law firm with several locations, even multiple states at this point. If you had to pick one, do you have a first love, medicine versus law? If so, why? Yeah, without a doubt, um, medicine. Yeah, I know we're in here sitting in the law firm today as I say that, but you know, I love medicine and I think at heart I'm a healer. Um, I, I think that that is my, one of my blessings that God has given me is... Um, I, I really love to boil down. I used to love doing a detailed physical exam. I used to really, really like that. I used to really like understanding the why behind how something was going to work uh, or if something was going to work, why did it work? Because then I would know what the options were. And, um, well, gosh, that's how we got to be friends. You know, a lot of medical mm-hmm. doctors are jaded against chiropractic. <laughs> I saw chiropractors save our butts on so many cases because all we had to offer was a long needle and a bottle of pills. And so I became intrigued with what you guys did and how you did it because there were many people I could do nothing with that you fixed. And I began to appreciate that and go, wow, that's cool. You've got a great mm. skill set, man. That's awesome. And in wanting to learn about that, you know, wanting to understand chiropractic and how it works and what you're doing and what's the science behind that. And um, that, you know, that part of medicine I love. And medicine is this, it's this, it's this tremendously broad, deep, scientific world that you can go into all the way down to an enzyme level if you want. Or you can keep it very superficial. Um, and I love that about it because the outcome too is this. Here's another thing for someone like myself. Here's a problem and I do this action and does it work or not? So even if you're talking about something that's chronic like diabetes, here's a high blood sugar, here's this medicine, or here's this insulin dose change, or here's this, does it lower it or not? problem, solution, check your result. If the problem still exists, boom, boom, boom. I love that. I love that. I love seeing a result. I love changing a life. I love touching something, touching someone. And you see it now. Medicine is fantastic. So that's my love. And so have you been able to, and I already know the answer to this, but I want you to be (laughs) able to express it. Have you been able to take how you saw or treated or visited with patients as a medical doctor and transferred in how a client would be taken care of from a law firm perspective. I know, you know, in, in my sense as a chiropractor, 
how I evaluated and went through a case and communicated with the patient. I've been, I've found that really effective, not only in working with other providers and helping them understand now the legal side of things, but also with, with our clients or, or patients to understand that stuff. But you've built a, a business, a law practice in a unique way from the perspective of medical doctor. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I'm not going to be shy in this one. And, and this is no sales pitch either. And you know, it cause you live here, but, um, call up a law firm and ask them how many chiropractors they have working for them. Call up a law firm and ask them how many MDs they have working for them. Call up a law firm and ask them how many medical practice managers they have working for them. Call up a law firm and ask them how many case managers they have working for them. Call up a law firm and ask them how many past billing resolution managers they have working for them. Ask them all those questions and, and write down their answers and then call this law firm. We have all those. This, this law firm is founded with a medical backbone. That's what, this, that's what this firm is about because you can get people a lot of money and you can get people their health back and inevitably people always take their health back. Mm. So the medical aspect is the most important aspect. It's not the financial aspect. Now, here's the wonderful thing about law. If you get people their health back, typically you get them a better recovery legally. So for me, it's the most magnificent win-win in the world. And so we built the law firm here starting with a medical focus. Everything is about how do we get the medicine part perfected? How do we work with practices? How do we talk to um, practice managers? How do we talk to doctors? How do we talk to physician assistants? How do we talk to chiropractors? How do we, you know, how do, we do that? We don't do that from an attorney's perspective. Here's why. Attorneys can't even pronounce the words. They don't understand it. That's what I dealt with on those over, well, again, probably a thousand cases, but a hundred that I actually testified on, you know, or more. Um, they don't get it. If they can't even pronounce it, how are they going to care enough to do it, right? Absolutely. It just doesn't exist out there. And so we did it differently and we continue to do it differently. We, we have a staff that is built on that and that alone. And so what that has resulted in is a law firm that gets tremendous healthcare results. Tremendous healthcare results, not because we're out there seeding some doctor, not because we're out there twisting some case, not because we're out there bending some record. Tremendous results because we care that you get better. We understand what you have. And if a doctor can't get you there, we'll talk to them. And if they can't get you there, we'll talk to another one. We'll do whatever we can do to get you better. Because in the end, if we get you better, it'll be way more important to you than the money. Now, again, as I said earlier, when you get people better, insurance companies understand they're really hurt. And when you get them better by the right doctors, the right care who care, and a person who really cares just about getting better, they get more money. And so the, the double talent of the medicine playing into the law and that passion for me of why I do this is alive every single day I walk in here. And you guys, you know, you know that because you see me and you work with me. And uh, I don't know if people can feel that through a uh, voice thing, but um, if not, come walk a day in this firm, right? Because we have people that speak at our year-end party that we got better. Every year at the end of the year, we have a big celebration. We invite in past injured clients. We have them talk to the group. Is there, you know, in your experience, is there anything better than that? It's, it's incredible because what they've done is they've shared with us how their life was impacted before any sort of trauma and then how they needed help and where were they going to go to get answers? And then once they got the answers, what stress did that alleviate from them? How did that allow them to focus on getting better? And eventually how, regardless of how close they got their lives back or not, some of them get their lives completely back. Others are changed forever, physically, mentally, or emotionally. What part 
did their attorney, their legal team, their law firm play in their lives? And it's it's moving. It's yeah. really moving. Yeah, it, it is. And it is the, uh, that is, you know, again, getting back to, to doing something well and getting up energetic every day and, and feeling good about what you're doing, uh, get, having passion. You know, it's, it's, it gets back to the thing, it's not the money. You know, the why is um, those people who have touched, who you've touched, it's that feeling I get like we talked about with Angel. Man, what a feeling to touch a high schooler like that. Right. Such early phase in their life and share one of your failures to make it their success. And they walk, go, wow, I changed that life. And to get a message on that. And that's what happens here every day. And on the holidays, we got all these wonderful cards. <laughs> we get, you know, gift baskets. We have people sending things. Out. They're touching. I mean, how times we all send them around and celebrate it as a firm. Go, wow. You know, that that's what it's about. That's that wake behind you, right? Right. And, um, and the reason we built the, the law firm out of medical office managers and billing managers and practice managers and chiropractors and MDs and, and the reason we built a practice on that that's a law firm is they get it. We have received the call from the person who was in pain, right? The person who couldn't wait two weeks for their appointment. We've received the calls from the people who are out of their medicines. We've received the calls from the people who want you to see their family member because they're hurt too and they only trust you. We've received that kind of close interpersonal relationship where you're taking care of someone and they may have something totally unrelated happen, have a miscarriage or lose a loved one or their husband dies or something. And as a physician, we've had those incredibly close touches with people. And our staff in our offices had that same touch because they took the call. They scheduled the appointment. They dealt with the checkout. They were there with us as we discussed with them something that was weighing heavily on our emotions or our heart. And now you move those people into a law practice, and when somebody calls in and says, hey, I'm hurt, it's a whole different way of looking at the hurt. It's not a, you know, what's your case worth? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's, that's it's, incredible. It's a life thing. So you that's know, what it's about. I, I think that's, it's so important for us to get that message out to folks that life is about making connections, and it's about how we do what we do, and no matter what we're doing, take pride in it. everything that we've talked about, and we could go on and on for hours more, and, and we obviously have two or three or 20 more of these it, ready to go right now. <laughs> so as we bring this one in for a landing, a couple just random questions that yep. we'll answer quickly, just for people who might be interested. If you had a favorite piece of advice either to give now that you've lived on this planet and done the things you've done as long as you have, or that you've received, what would that be? For me, it would be the one piece of advice I could give anybody is be consistent. And in that consistency, just be self-aware. So in other words, you're consistent no matter what you're doing. That consistency that you have may be inconsistency. Like you're never consistent in working out. If you're never consistent working out, that's consistent. It's consistently inconsistent. <laughs> so we're all doing it. So then the question, the self-awareness is, is for the things yeah. I really want to achieve in my life or the things I want to do, consistency of no, finding out the plan and then executing the plan consistency, that would probably be the best piece of advice I could give anyone mm. into achieving anything. What wow, about you? Yeah, best piece you've been given or that you would give? That is fantastic advice. I would divide my... Um, my from the hip thoughts on best advice into two categories one for younger adults if you're a parent out there and um, you've got a, a kid at home in high school or a blower um, my piece of advice would be this hard work beats talent every time every single time never seen a case where hard work doesn't outdo talent every single time 
Um, I've seen so many talented people, been to school with many talented people, um, and they just can't compete with hard workers. So if you gave me talent or you gave me hard work, I'll choose hard work every day. So g tell your kids that. Tell the youth that. that that's what, um, that'd be the best piece of advice. For an adult, um, for us and our peers, I would say have faith in something other than yourself. That'd be my best piece of advice. Uh, the reason is, is that you will fail. You will fail yourself and you will fail others. And um, you will fall short. doesn't matter who you are or what you do. Only been one perfect person. We know what happened to him. <laughs> and so you will fall short. So have faith in something other than yourself because if you put all your faith in yourself, um, when you fail, there's nothing else. If you had a great answer, by the way, um, if you had a favorite way to spend time, you got a free day, which you don't have many of, <laughs> favorite way that you could possibly spend time, what would you say? I got to mix time. in a couple things. Okay. I would load my family up. So be with my family. That's the first key. Um, in our airplane, that's the second key. I love to fly. There's no freedom like just soaring over the earth and looking down at God's creation and the beauty. There's just nothing like it. Um, and I would fly them to somewhere in the middle of the mountains where there was an incredibly beautiful stream and mountain and I, uh, mountains and trails and I could see uh, things both from the air and the ground and touch it and feel it that to me is when you really stand back is absolutely remarkable and to feel and experience that in the presence of my family um, and with them and have all of our eyes light up about the silliest thing um, is so rich mm. you know catching fish in a stream with my hands with my boys and my little girl screaming on the edge of the of the stream is worth chucking the fish out and my wife taking pictures and laughing and uh, <laughs> everybody getting muddy. Uh, there's, you know, there's no happier moments than that. Beautiful. Yeah. If I had to pick one, I would extend mine into a, probably a three day trip where one would be fishing in the mountains. One mm. would be at a beach with my family cause they all love the beach. No, so do. we would all be at the beach. And then the other one would be watching some of my favorite sporting events, particularly uh, football and basketball and lacrosse. If I could do like a triple header, right? A football game, a lacrosse mm -hmm. game, and then a basketball evening mm -hmm. with people that, that love those things that I'm connected to, that would probably be the, the perfect trifecta for me. Of course, we got to get a workout in all three days. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, real quick before we end, I have one question for you because I, I know today uh, I did a lot of the talking. I felt like you were interviewing me and we're, we're supposed to be doing this together where I'm interviewing you back. I didn't do any interviewing back. but I, <laughs> We did great, though. It was awesome. It was awesome. I have one question, though, to end with that I, I think uh, I'm curious about with you. That might be a nice way to end. We'll see. Um, and that is this, you know, you mentioned earlier, they're kind of lead guys and drivers and they're kind of wingmen. And, um, and you've, you've kind of said, Hey, I think I'm a good wingman. I'm a good, you know, second guy that whatever. And, um, what skill is it? You know, we've talked about, you know, success and how do you be, you know, what drives passion? Well, what, what is it that drives you to be so good at supporting others? What, what is it that, um, now, you said, I, I like a team, but I don't know. That just kind of seems part and parcel to me to, to what it means to, to be great at really uplifting an organization as you do this one. So what is it that, that drives that or what skill is necessary there? Or what is the magic potion for that? Because everybody out there may not be in a position where they can drive the organization. They can make the decision on advertising or make the decision on, on hiring or whatever. And 
but if they're not that that person, that means they're kind of a in a position to be a great wingman. Mm-hmm. And what is it that makes that? And what you know, w- would you say there's some special quality or characteristic or something about you that's helped you to excel in that way? Because I think you are so phenomenal. I look at you as a point man because you're such a phenomenal wingman, if you want to say that. Um, so, so what is it? Is there something that, that you think you might be able to point out to the listeners in that regard? I would say I've, I've never been asked that question, and so I'm processing it as we yeah. go. And so if I had to put it into words, literally, it would start from my personal mission. And my personal mission, which I was taught a concept called personal brand from a guy named Darren Hardy, who you and I have both studied under mm-hmm. and yep. taken some courses. <clears throat> and the, the concept of personal brand is now being used in a marketing way. So personal brand across the, the social media world is being used as how you, how you let people see you and that then they'll see your companies by seeing you in a certain way. Well, before that, or at least before I was aware of that term, I became aware of this, this thing called personal brand, which is how do you walk around and present yourself in life and to the world and to the people? Because you're doing it, again, just like you're either consistent or you're not, but you're always consistent. Mm. You're, we all have a brand. Like you walk around and people see Dr. Joe Ramos in a way based on how you talk, how you think, how you act, how you run a business, how you parent. I decided after listening to this opportunity of creating a personal brand, I decided, I thought through it, I wrote out different instructions and steps, and for me it became positive impact. So my personal Mm -hmm. brand is positive impact. So then for me, everything boils down to living out my personal brand. How can I have a positive impact in this relationship, this circumstance, this situation, this business, this company? And so thankfully, because of, um, I've been blessed with some pretty cool skills, right? Some pretty cool gifts. And for me being able to identify them, whether they were brought out in me by mentors and teachers and opportunity and owning businesses and doing all those things, those brought out where those things were allowing me to shine. And if I could do it and have a positive impact, then Mm -hmm. it was a win. And so through that process of wanting to have a positive impact, I thought, well, if I'm not making these types of decisions, whatever those might be of, let's say a number one of like, okay, who has to go down this road? Who has to get that? Who has to do this? Who has to order this? If I'm literally carrying forth the vision and the mission of the business, I felt that was my best way to live my brand of having a positive impact. Wow. And so then that just drew into, because again, of experiences across the spectrum and looking for opportunities on how I could serve it. It all before positive mm-hmm. impact it was just service. How could I serve wow. as a healer through chiropractic, or you know, serve as a parent in giving a good childhood, or or serve as a spouse, or serve as a friend? And that led to where I found my obvious strengths and where my not strengths were, my non strengths. And then saying, ooh, if I don't spend as much time here, I can get far more done than if I try to magnify and build my non-strengths up to strengths, I can get a lot more traction a lot faster by living in my strength zone, then I can help kill it for us versus mm-hmm. for me. That is so awesome. It's funny, you know, here we've known each other all this time, and you know, as you're telling me that, it's like a, it's like a big spotlight aiming in my eyes that I didn't see because you know, um, your personal brand is positive impact, and as I think about my relationship with you, and I'm not talking about now with what we do. I'm going back 20 years. I think of nothing but positive impact. You've always impacted me positively. 
And you've, I've watched you impact an entire organization positively. And it makes perfect sense why it's okay to, as you said, be, you know, be a great wingman if that's what you are. It's something everybody can do is positively impact people. And it's something not many people can do to make it their passion mm-hmm. to positively impact every connection, right? And that's what you did. What you're saying is different is that you, is you didn't just go, I'm going to positively impact people. I'm fine being second. Right. That's, that's like a demeaning thing. Completely. Yeah. 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 Never crossed my mind that way. You're right. What you just said. And that was the spotlight that hit me. Right. Was it's my mission. Every person I touch, everything I do, I'm going to leave it that wake behind us. Right. It's going to, it's going to, I'm going to touch people. I'm going to positive impact everybody. And I'm choosing this because here's why I'm much more effective because I can do it with every action, every day, every time. And which is what you do. And that is something I think the listeners could do is I think everybody can do it every day, every touch, every time. I love so that. That's cool. Wow. Well, what a time. Did you have a good time? Dude. Oh, this was amazing. I can't believe we got this done. It's the start of such a great hey, you, wake opportunity. Up. Wake up out there. <laughs> wake up. Yeah, that's right. Let us know Ian, if we can go up. longer. Ian. <laughs> anyway, man, I'm telling you, thank you so much for, for helping us get this set up, scheduling time from our schedules and, and getting all this equipment ready. And yeah. I, I hope we can, uh, we will have said that we brought incredible value to people today. Absolutely. I hope so as well. Positively impacting people. Pleasure doing this with you, my friend. Absolutely. My brother, Jim Hoven. Here's to 2020, baby. Absolutely. Take care.